Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. What a great morning. Isn't it been wonderful so far? And the worship was just beautiful. I love those songs. And Because He Lives, that song particularly touched my heart as we were singing this morning. We're going to talk all about the worshipping church this morning. And are you ready for a little bit of a feed on God's Word? Yes or yes? yes? Excellent. We're going to dive straight into it this morning because I've got a lot of things that I felt God share, putting in my heart to share with us this morning around this topic. I love the topic of the church. I love the topic of the early church. And so we're going to have a little bit of a reflection back in 2,000 years ago and what the early church was like before we launch into the next section on worship. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it says... Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What was he talking about? He was meeting there with his disciples. He was having some discussion on how people were identifying him at that time with the disciples. And Peter responded back to him, confessing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus blessed Peter and declared upon this rock, What he's saying is on this solid foundation that that Christ is the Son of God, I will build my church, he's saying, on that declaration. So what is the church that Jesus said that he would build? Is it the image that we have in our minds sometimes of the old church up on the hill, the stained glass windows, or maybe the modern version of the church, which is the tilt slab building, you know, with the rock band and the words on the wall and the smoke machines and those kind of things? Is that the image that comes to mind when we think about the church that Jesus said he would build? Or was it something else? Was it, was it maybe that we would meet in a big shed, as this church meets in a big shed? Is, it, is the church a location? Is the church somewhere that we go to on Sunday? Is it something that we do? Is it a place? What was Jesus talking about when he said, I will build my church? Is church something that we do? We do church each Sunday. I woke up this morning, I had the thought, I get to do church today. I get to do church. Is that the thought that we, or I get to go to church, go to a place? Is that what Jesus meant when he said that? Is it a ritual? Is it an activity that we do once a week on a Sunday morning? I don't think we do church. I don't think that we go to church. But whatever the church is, I think it's a very powerful thing because it's expanded exponentially throughout all generations. It stood the test of time, and Jesus went on to say that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So it's far more than a building, and it's far more than a place, and it's far more than a thing that we do. It's a spiritual force. It has spiritual power against the gates of hell. It's far more than just a building, a place, a ritual, or a thing that we do. A little activity very quickly. I want you to think, what does the church mean to you? What does the church, do you feel that it means to you? I want you to turn to someone next to you. I've started the topic and opened it. I want you just for 30 seconds to say, what is the church? What is the church? Let's talk amongst each other for a moment. What do you think the church is?
I want us to get our minds thinking today. I want us to get our hearts turned towards God today. All right, so let's continue on. The very first church, freshly filled by the Holy Spirit, 2,000 years ago. It wasn't a packaged, commercialized service that we get today when we go and visit the next best thing, the next best church out there doing the next best thing. 2,000 years ago, they had nothing like that. 2,000 years ago, they had the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, the early church was called the Ecclesia, which means the called out ones, a people called out by God, a people called out by God worldwide, the universal church. And then the church would grow regionally and the church would grow locally as we are here. And we find the word Ecclesia, the church in the New Testament, 114 times. The early church wasn't made up of famous, rich and powerful people. It was made up of everyday people, just like you and me. About people who were passionate and those who confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Saviour, as the Son of God. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and of freedom. And it would change the world forever. Today the church is stronger than ever. It's the fastest growing religion, although it's not a religion. But it's the fastest growing religion in the world today. It continues to impact every corner of the world. And there's over 5 million churches in the world now standing. And it all started back here 2,000 years ago in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came and the first church was born. The ripple effect of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen in the church today. Today, you didn't come to a building or to a place. You didn't come to just do a ritual or do a service here. You came to a revolution in the making and that continues on. You came to an unstoppable force. Have you thought about the church like this before? An unstoppable force in place to redeem the world for God. That's why we're here. And all of hell cannot prevail against it. Isn't that great news? Even when we go through our struggles and our ups and downs and our church splits and all the terrible stuff that happens in churches, I've been pastoring about 25 years, 30 years, I know that happens in church. Even when we go through these terrible situations in our churches, I know God's kingdom will know no end and God's glory shall know no bounds for the majesty and honour of this kingdom's king has come. The church will continue on. The church is not a place. It's not something we do on Sunday. It's who we are together. And I hope as you chatted amongst each other, you were saying, it's the people. It's who we are together. We are the church, you and I. It's the people meeting together passionately, believing in Jesus, and he even calls us the body of Christ. The church is his body now representing Christ in the world. Jesus began building the church 2,000 years ago with ordinary people like you and I. And we can learn a little bit more about the church by studying a passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 48. You can't do a series on the church. I'm sure that Pastor Tim will continue somewhere in this series on this passage. But you can't talk about the church and not read this passage. The very first church. 
It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I still remember back in 1995 when I read this passage for the very first time and it captured my heart and it changed me and set in place my ministry and how I would see the church and build the church and devote my life to, to this church, God's church. This passage really set the course of my life and my ministry because it's so descriptive. It paints such a beautiful picture of what the church should be. It gives us an image of what could be today. And the beautiful thing is, even the, what we read here is just principles of what we could take from that are totally transferable to the church today. The things we read here could be exactly who we are here as a people today. And I want to encourage us to, as we go through this series here, that we would take these things and let them capture your heart. Let them grip your heart. Because these are the things that can build this congregation for this community and make a massive difference in the lives of so many people, including yours. So, let's talk about that for a moment. What do I see in that passage? Well, I see a people who are devoted. They were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to growing in that. They were devoted to the Word of God. They wanted to grow and learn. And I see that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were committed to prayer. They were devoted to the fellowship as well. The fellowship is the family, the connection, the relationships going deep with love, where masks will come off and life will get real and we would just get into that place of deep connection with each other and the body of Christ will be one, united. I see in that passage that there was unity, a sense of togetherness. Everyone's needs were being met. They were sharing things among each other. No one went without in this church. They reached out to each other. People were being saved. People were being added in. There was this magnetic attraction. There was something of the love of God in this church that people found it contagious and they kept coming and being saved in this, in this church, in this body of believers. A contagious community of people. But today, I want us to focus on what I think is probably the most important feature of the early church. The thing that stood out the most to me and when Tim asked me to preach, he said, can you preach on the worshipping people? Talk about the worshipping people. See, these people in the early church, they were waiting on God for 40 days and 40 nights for the waiting on the Spirit. What do you think they were doing as they waited for God to come? They were waiting in prayer. They were waiting in adoration. They were waiting expectantly in worship. They were waiting together as united in one for God's presence to come and fall on them and invade them and take control as they waited for the Holy Spirit to empower them. So these were a worshipping people. It says that they broke bread together, that they would put Jesus first, that they would, you know, focus around his death and his, of course, his resurrection. When the Spirit came, it says they met together every day. 
And they met together in the temple courts. And they devoted their lives and their relation, to their relationship with God. It says that they met together and that they would praise God with glad and sincere hearts as they met together in each other's homes. Are we doing these things, church? Are we doing these things today? When they would meet together, they would praise Him. And a thing that stood out to me is that they stood in awe. They stood in awe of God. As God moved among them, they were a people who stood in awe of God, in awe of His Spirit, in awe of His presence, in awe of His awesomeness. It says that everyone was filled with awe. Can you say that with me? Awe. Awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Not at the apostles. At the wonders and the signs. Not at the apostles. At what God was doing and what God had done. God was moving amongst them. The Holy Spirit was touching and changing lives. And they stood in what? Awe. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you stood in awe? The last time you stood in awe of God in your life? Where you just stopped. And you had to stop because you were covered with, with this sense of awe. Where you started to think so deeply about God, who He is and what He's done in your salvation. And you were overwhelmed with a sense of awe. Awe of God here in church, maybe as we sing that song, Because He Lives, I know I had that sense of awe this morning where I was brought to tears in my heart as I considered what Jesus has done for me. A sense of awe came over me. When was the last time that you stood in awe as you heard great testimonies of what God has done in somebody or you had a testimony to share that brought about that sense of awe? Or you saw someone saved and it just brought this overwhelming sense of awe in your life as you stood in awe of him. When was the last time you came to church expectant, anticipating to meet with God, an awesome God, and be overwhelmed with the sense of awe? Life changing where it got past your head and drops to your heart and actually touches your emotions. That sense of awe. You know, maybe you've seen a miracle in someone's life or the Spirit's moving in a healing prayer and you saw an answer to amazing prayer and you get overwhelmed by a sense of awe. And you say, God, do more miracles like this. Be an awesome God among us. You are an awesome God. But when you get freshly filled with the Holy Spirit and He challenges you and it changes your life and you get transformed by the power of God in your life and you get overwhelmed by a sense of awe, when was the last time? Or is your sense of awe more like this? Oh, got to get out of bed and go to church this morning. Oh, got to get out of bed. Here we go again. Oh, who's going to be preaching this morning? Oh, just kidding, because that would never happen here, right? Because we have a 10 a.m. service. There are many things that should define us as a church. 
And we've read some of them today, and I could go on and on and on around these topics, but I think the most important descriptor of the church is that we would be known as a worshiping people, a people, this is what sets us apart, a people in awe of our awesome God, that that's what sets us apart from the world, that we don't worship other idols, we don't worship other things, we don't worship other religions, we don't worship, we worship Jesus, we worship God. We're a people who have joined our hearts together in love, and we would express that love and that, that worship to God in adoration, with thanks, and with praise towards Him. Because He has, because of who He is and all that He has done. Mm. That's who we should be. We should have an ever-increasing passion around this because the more we get to know God and understand Him, the deeper our response, our appropriate response would be is to worship Him. Is that true or is that true? The more we know this great God and understand Him through His Word, the more we should respond to Him in worship because He's irresistible, because we love Him. I want to ask you a question this morning, Creekside Community Church. Are we a worshipping people like that? Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. Are we called the house of prayer? Are we called the house of worship, the house of praise, the house of thanksgiving? Are we the house in the community look to us and say, my house, that, that church, that's a house of prayer. That's a house of worship. Are we called that? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Can people describe us that way? Because we can, we can do this. Today I want us to open our hearts and I look into this a little bit deeper as we encourage and deepen our commitment as a worshipping community of believers. And to do that, it's going to start with me individually and it's going to start with you individually and then it will start to expand and express ourselves corporately in this way. Because to become a worshipping community starts right here with me, uniquely, individually. And then it starts with you as well, having your heart surrendered before God. It's all about our hearts in this. Worship is all about our hearts. It's all about our minds, giving it to God, to work, giving to Him what is due to His name. And today I want us to let the Holy Spirit stir us up a little bit around this. Stir our minds up today that we could become white, hot and passionate worshippers again with our hearts and our affections turned toward God, our great God. Let us never become lukewarm in our worship like the, Laodice the church of Laodicea. In Revelation 3, we read about it. God is jealous for our deepening and full devotion. Jesus said it in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord. Read it with me, church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That means to worship him with all that we have, our heart and our soul, our mind, our strength. Remember the word of God, it says that God would rather that I be hot or cold, not lukewarm in between in my spiritual life. He's saying, either be passionate for me, be hot for me, well, don't bother at all. I'd rather you be cold. Don't be lukewarm. 
Don't be like Luke. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be double-minded. Don't put one foot in and one foot out. Don't sit on the fence, he's saying. Be all in. It kind of reminds me of my old plasma television. Remember before the beautiful big LED TVs? So we had plasma TVs. I mean, they were a beautiful picture, weren't they? But they would get so hot. I remember putting my hand on the back of that TV when it was up and running. Man, it was like a stove. It would burn your hand. But when it wasn't plugged, when it wasn't switched on, it was okay. It was cool. It was plugged in and had a little red light on the front, but it was cold. Or maybe just a little bit lukewarm. But it was only when I got my remote control out and turned it on, that thing would heat up. I was amazed how hot that plasma would get. And you know, some people here today, some of us here today, are plugged into God. We've got our eternal security. We've been saved, born again, baptized. We're sitting here, we come to church every week. We've got the little red light on in front. But we're cold, spiritually cold or spiritually lukewarm. You've got one foot in and one foot out. You put your toe in the water just for a little taste test. And God said, dive in the deep end with me. He said, if you're going to be plugged in and have the gift of salvation in your life, then I want you to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's many people who never lived that fullness of the potential of the power of God moving in and through their life, and they never get hot for God. And I want to encourage us here today. It's only a flick of a switch. Get that remote out and press the button and get focused on worshiping Him, and He will fill you with His Spirit, and you can become hot for God, and He can change your life. Can I hear an amen? You know, some of you, I understand, some of us, we go in the ups and downs of life, are not living as a worshipper of the Most High God. And I'm calling us up to that today, all of us. It's like you're lukewarm, but that's not the life that God has called you to. He didn't call you to live on standby. called you to be a hot worshipper of Jesus Christ. So today, let's just continue talking about what it means to be a worshipper like that. Let's talk about being all of life worshippers, becoming a worshipping people like the early church was, a worshipping people in awe of Him. You see, if worship is just about coming along to a service on Sunday morning and do our 20 minutes of wonderful singing, which is beautiful music that we had today, you know, in that 20 minutes on Sunday, if, if that's all I have to do, and then for the rest of the week, I can go back on standby. You see? But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want the song. He wants the singer. He doesn't want the music. He wants the musician. He doesn't want the preaching. He wants the preacher. He doesn't want the service that we do here. He wants the servant. Church, he doesn't want the worship. He wants the worshiper. He wants the worshiper. He doesn't want the words up on the wall, church. He wants the word in your heart. And once the word is in your heart, 
He wants it to respond with an appropriate response of worship and praise and adoration, an ever-increasing and deepening and intimate and loving relationship with him. That's why he died for us, to redeem us back into intimate relationship with him. So when we gather here and we sing and we praise and we pray for this small time that we have together each week, it's just a really short moment of an expression, a small expression of what we're doing all week long privately. True? All week long we're worshipping, we're loving him, remember, with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. So say this with me, church. I live to worship him. I live to worship him. It's the greatest purpose of our life. It's what you, if you could get this one right, everything else will fall in place. We know Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and all else will be given to you. I've learned that Sunday services is just a really small reflection of what I could do all week long. It's such an important part of being a worshipping community together, but it starts with me individually. And then when I come together with all of you, it becomes a powerful time of praise because it's an expression of what we're all doing uniquely together um, through the week. Paul said it best, you know, when, when he talks about the idea of be, being an all-of-life worshipper, someone who worships him all day, every day, every moment of every day. He talks about it in Romans 12, chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Another version says this is your spiritual act of worship, to offer ourselves, to live a life of, as a constant kind of surrender, a daily surrender, a daily devotion, where we sacrifice our ways for His way, where we learn to live and lay down my will for His will. And I live for Him, and not just live for Him, but live in Him. And actually what that means is that I'm a worshipper. To worship is so much more than singing, right? To worship is to give my whole life to Him and surrender to Him. To be a living sacrifice, it's hard, I know. I come down to this altar every Sunday morning, all right? And I lay down my life at the altar here in church. And then I'm a living sacrifice. I get back up off the altar and go out and live my week. But Jesus is saying, your heart is the altar today. It's not a 20-minute Sunday morning altar. It's a life altar. I lay down my whole life for him, humbly admitting my faults, getting it straight again when I leave him. When I forget about his presence in my life and I focus on my own will and my own ways and I want to get back in line with him again, I come to him humbly and I become a living sacrifice again. Thankfully, he didn't say become a dead sacrifice, right? Jesus did that for us. I don't have to do that because Jesus did it. So let's be careful to never think that we've done our worship, I've done my duty, and then I can get up off the altar and until next Sunday come back to the altar again. Because that's not how it works. God is a whole lot bigger than that, right? God wants to be magnified and glorified and exalted high and lifted up. And... Uh, God is calling us to be 24-7 worshippers in that way. He desires our constant devotion in that way. And He is jealous when other idols start to come into our life, when other things start to come into our life, 
They creep in and we start to worship other things, people, time, money, other things start to happen. But God deserves it all because he's our creator and he's the only one who's worthy to be worshipped. Someone recently asked me, how do I know God's will for my life? How can I know God's will for my life? Isn't that a great question? It's a very common question. I'm not sure if, as a pastor, I've been asked many times in my ministry, many, many times, how could I know God's will for my life? And so I want to answer that question quickly. It's a common question. Being in a ministry of 25 years now, I've answered it this way. What's God's will for my life, we ask? How can I know it? So I want to say we're asking the wrong question. The question should be, what's God's will? And do that. Not what's God's will for my life. The question is, what's God's will? And do that. Do God's will. Jesus told us that his will was that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's God's will. Just do that. And when we get that right, then he said, and love your neighbor as you'd want to be loved. Just do that. And then he said, steward this beautiful planet that is created and given to us. Just do that. And he said, Go into the world and preach the gospel. Just do that. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Just do that. You see, that's God's will for my life. To love him, to love others, to preach a gospel, and to make disciples. That's God's will. Just do that. But it comes mostly, for me, around worship. If I was to love God, many of these things will flow out of my love for God. Does that make sense? Many of these things will flow out of our love for God. And there's so much more to God's will. But it starts right there. So, most of you have heard the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, what's the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Church, this is simply informing us that we are to live our daily lives for God's glory alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. Say it with me. Soli Deo Gloria. It's a Latin term for glory to God alone. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it describes what looks like how we do this in our daily lives, to glory to God alone. Paul said it to the Corinthians church, so then, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So that means our very existence, whether we eat or drink or whatever we're doing is in our short lives we live on this planet, that on this terrestrial ball called earth, which is floating around on nothing, by the way, somehow, and orbiting endlessly around this mind-blowing solar system, with all of the celestial activity taking place in this unbelievably 
huge, mind-boggling, vast universe that God created, Paul says, whatever you do, even the little things, even the most insignificant things like peeling sweet potatoes, whatever you do, the attitude of your heart, the attitude of my heart, the attitude of our hearts is to worship him, that we would glorify God alone. Imagine living every moment of our day like that. Imagine living everywhere where our hearts will be turned toward him in that way. Sole Deo Gloria. C.S. Lewis said it so beautifully when he reminded us, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. There's two questions I asked myself this week. Why do I worship God? And how do I worship God? They're deeply personal questions for all of us, and there's some unique answers, but the first one is all about having that deepening relationship, but understanding who God is. When we understand more of who God is, as we grow in our understanding, that's why we worship him. You can't not worship him the more you understand who he is through his word. True? And the second one is letting that knowledge drop from my head down to my heart and saying how I worship him. God doesn't want us to just be full of head knowledge, by the way. Some of us are stuck just in the truth side of God. He wants you to have a heart knowledge as well. He wants you to experience him and walk with him and talk with him and sense his presence in your life and hear his voice and have your emotions touched by him. And to worship him, really, this is our only appropriate response to a holy God. You may remember that conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. Uh, he ended the conversation saying, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit. Everyone say spirit. And in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Church, we need to let our, our knowledge of God, our truth of God, that based in his word, I hope, our truth, drop down to our hearts so we can worship God in spirit, experience him. There's a healthy balance here, by the way. One way we experience, we'll go to the experiential and the emotionalism and off-the-wall stuff, which is not really based in truth, because it just gives us some idea of who God is, but will never be fulfilled because we have experiences and more experiences and more experiences, and if our faith is based on experience, then it's all well, just our emotions. It's not just experience, it needs to be based on truth, which is that rock-solid Word of God that is going to define who he is and how we respond to him. Spirit of truth, experience of God based on the word of God. I kind of picture myself as a worshiper with my hands in the air, thrust towards him and experiencing his love, but with my feet planted on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word. That's the truth. Truth and spirit, the balance has got to be there, church. 
I'm not saying that I want to go in an extreme direction that way or an extreme direction that way. To just be truth-focused and never have an experience or relationship with God, then I'm going to end up in, with a form of godliness without any power. Churches are like that today. Many churches. And then the other side is I might go this far and be swinging from the chandeliers, but i got no basis of who God even is. It's just this idea of who he is and my emotions are all wrapped up in it and I have this incredible experience and spine tingles and high fives every time I meet. And one day, it'll all end because it's not based on truth. When a wave comes crashing in for that person, there's nothing they're standing on a sand and just get washed away. You see, worship, a true worshiper, is the Father is seeking is someone who will worship him in spirit and in truth. They are balanced worshippers. They walk a fine line of spirit and truth. And on that fine line is the road of holiness, church. It's to walk with him, experience him, and love him based on who he really is from the word of God. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. I've been a Christian for 31 years now. And most of those years, I've been asking questions around this. Why do I worship and how do I worship? Still ask those questions. Why am I thinking about these kind of questions so often? Because I believe to worship him is actually the reason I live. It's my purpose in my life is to praise him and to worship him as my creator. And David said it in Psalm 139. He said, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Because I am wonderfully made, I live to worship Him. To worship Him is to actually, why I'm on this planet, my goal is to worship Him. My central focus of my whole life is to worship Him. Do I always get it right? No. But it's my goal, right? It's my goal. And it needs to be our goal because he deserves the ultimate affection of our hearts for who he is. So today I just wanted to unpack those questions a little bit. Why I worship the Lord. How I worship the Lord. And there's so much more that we could talk about. I just want to answer this last little bit. Why I worship the Lord. I don't worship the Lord because it benefits me in any way. I really want you to think about this today. I don't worship the Lord because of any benefits. Worshiping God is not about me at all, actually. It's not about how good it makes me feel. It's not about anything like that. Even though, from my experience as a worshiper, worshiping God does have huge benefits in my life, right? Worshiping Him, it benefits me. And you ask, well, what do you mean by benefits you to worship God? Well, there's a lot of benefits in worshiping God. It's not why I worship God, but I mean, one of the benefits is that I get to enjoy God forever. That's a benefit, right? 
I get to enjoy him forever. Another benefit is that my heart is delighted in him. Everyone, put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart. My heart is delighted in him. Put your hand on your mind. My mind is renewed. That's a benefit. My life is empowered. Do this with me. My life is empowered. That's a benefit. That's a benefit of worshipping him. My mind is renewed. My heart. Do this. My soul is refreshed. My soul is refreshed. Yes? That's a benefit of being a worshipper. My heart is made tender. My heart is made tender. I don't know, when you become a worshipper, I find that I'm more open and hearing the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit in my life. My heart is tender when I'm a worshipper. My prayer life is empowered. My prayer life is empowered. That's a benefit. My ears are opened. Yeah, come on. My ears are opened. I can hear His Spirit speaking. It can show me and lead me and guide me when I'm in tune with Him. The spiritual temperature of my life is turned up when I'm a worshipper of Him. My ears are opened. My passion... Well, how about this one? My eyes. All right. My eyes can see God all around me. I don't know. I just see God more. I see Him everywhere. My passion. I don't know what we'll do for passion. My passion to reach the lost world. The lost world is ignited when I become a worshipper of Him. I see people who are not walking with God and there's a passion within me to see them become followers of Christ. I see what they're missing out. I see the emptiness in their life. I see this and I get passionate as a worshipper of God. Here's one, a benefit. I'm united with the angels United with the angels. Some of you are going, well, it's getting a bit hocus-pocus now. I'm united with the angels. The angels will worship the Lord forever and all eternity. They praise Him endlessly. And when I'm a worshipper of God, I'm joining them and praising God. How beautiful is that picture? What a, one more benefit. I love this one. I put the devil on the run. I put the devil on the run in my life. That's what becoming a worshipper does. We resist him and he flees. The devil has an allergy to praise. Did you know that? When he's trying to get you down, start praising God and he will flee. So there's many benefits to worshipping God. And I'm a better person as a worshipper of God. I'm fulfilled. And I'm doing what I was created to do as a worshipper of God. I'd say those are benefits, wouldn't you? But I want to finish by saying that's not why I worship God. I don't worship God for all those amazing benefits. Don't get me wrong, I believe it, I need those benefits. (laughs) Those things satisfy my soul. I need those benefits in my life and part of the gift that God gives back to me but he has put those things within my soul through the sacrificial giving of his son Jesus Christ so it's all for him actually 
It's that I would become an all-of-life worshipper of him because of who he is. Not for any benefits I get. It's only because of who he is. Isn't that amazing? The theologian John Piper said these words, whether you like John Piper or not, I found this quote really good. Do you feel loved by God because you believe he makes much of you? In other words, the benefits he gives you. Or because you believe that he frees you and empowers you to enjoy making much of him. There's a big difference. And in the world, the world's way of thinking, everything is about self, it's about me and my benefits. Thinking about Christianity, though, and worshipping God, it's all about him. It's about what we do, how we give to him. Will God make much of me, or will I make much of him? Maybe you'll leave this service today, and you'll ask person you're with what do you think of the service today what do you think of the worship today we didn't have a full band today ah didn't do much for me today didn't speak to me much today i didn't get much out of that today maybe i look at a different church next time Or maybe, geez, music was a bit loud today. Lights were a bit bright. Singing was a bit out of tune. No, it wasn't out of tune. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It was perfect. Because God didn't say make a perfect noise. He said make a joyful noise. So all jokes aside, sometimes we fall into the trap and we miss the point. We have an audience of one, church. We have an audience of one. And I want to ask you something here. Is God applauding? Is God applauding as you worship Him? Is God being blessed as you worship Him? Are you blessing the heart of God? Have you touched the heart of God today? That's the question to ask when you leave a church service. Did I bless the heart of God today? So instead, I'm going to ask a question when I leave here today. What did I put into the service today? Not what did I get out of it. I'm going to ask, what did I put into it? Did I open my heart up to him? Did I surrender my heart to him? Did I put myself on the altar today? Did I connect with God? Did I give him the worship that is due his name? Did I praise and adore him the way he would deserve to be? Did I join my heart with everyone around me corporately to lift up an offering of praise and sacrifice of praise to him? Um, where the, the incense of this church would be pleasing to him because it's, it's beautiful praise and worship and prayer coming from our hearts because he deserves it because he deserves it a place where god is put in the highest place a church where god is put at the center and jesus is the center of it all almost everything we do we look out for ourselves but today as we leave here today i'm calling us to lift our eyes up to him lift our eyes up to him and not see how it benefits you right now Let's walk out of this place to just say, how did I benefit God? How did I bless his name today? How did I do that?
That's our motivation, to worship Him. That's our motivation, to worship Him. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Bring our hearts into a place of worship, Lord. Break through the the crustiness that sometimes is like the hardness on our hearts that sometimes is preventing us from being in a place of deep, loving worship with you. Break through and make that heart of stone a heart of flesh again. I open my heart up to be more like that, God. Lord, as I leave this place today, may I remember just how incredibly incredible you are. There's no words to describe you. You are awesome. And as we sing this last song, Here I Am to Worship, as we sing these words, God, I pray, I really pray that we will stand in awe of you right now. Help us stand in awe of Jesus as we worship him. Come and touch our hearts now. Touch our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's stay in that attitude of worship now. And let's sing. Worship the Lord.